Ready? Sure. <laughs> I'm ready. Hey, how do we start this? How, how do you want to start talking about this? <clears throat> I don't know. Actually, I got an idea. Okay. So, did learn a new skill today. All right. Or not today, but recently. It, I think I told you about it via text, but I think I told you this, but learned a new skill. I was working on some of the little projects that I have around the house. One of them happens to be a planter on the side of the house, which is made out of brick. But the first few courses of brick have kind of like come off. um, And so it just looked like a jumble mess. And when we got it, it was it, it was what it was. You know, it was just like we took it as face value and stuff. But we just were trying to like you know clean it up it's hours now so and so <laughs> now it's now it's my jumble mess and so i'm trying to unjumble that mess and i look respectable would you Jeez. yeah exactly and so i uh rochelle and i went to home depot we're walking around happy to just just walk every single solitary aisle of course because that's sort of what you do and try to like you know like do i really need this i don't know if i do it's like ikea except you don't have to hit every aisle at home exactly. depot <laughs> exactly you know well i don't know we were walking through like the lumber I'm looking for lumber. improvement ideas <laughs> exactly so you know at the very end of you know so we start off at one end which is the um outdoors stuff you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah yeah and then you go all the way to the other end and it ends in masonry okay you know? yes yeah, so, outdoor garden to 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 masonry yes that is the that is the order so then i so it was just like oh you know what i, I saw this you know box of order and i'm like okay i'm gonna fix that planter and so i basically drew upon all of my memory from back in school when we actually did have a uh, bricklaying class where we just did a little and of course that was probably the last time i actually physically laid brick to watching this constant episodes of this old house and just watching the masons go to work and how you do it all this other stuff and i and i got and i got the uh went ahead and purchased everything and and uh it sat around for a while and i'm like all right right." and you know uh my wife's like you better do it before it starts getting cold or you're not gonna be able to do it at all like "Eh, good point um winter winter is coming Winter's coming. <laughs> and so um, I went outside and uh, the other day and just started going to going to town. Now I realized that all of the bricks that I had, they were either like mixed matched or broken or whatever. And so I was like gluing them together with the mortar. Because you can't find new, new bricks that look like the old bricks, right? No, no, not at all. Right. I mean, and so I just, you know, kind of like, but it, I was surprised at how well I did for you know, somebody who doesn't normally do this. You've got time. Louis Kahn on your house there. And in that, you know, and it and it was just like and sure enough, if I wasn't like standing there holding a brick, it was just like, What do you want to be? Do you want <laughs> to be this to. planter? You had to do it. <laughs> like, I don't think you want to be this planter. <laughs> I think you want to be a a nice little paved area where we can have a fire pit and Well, that yeah. just calls for a sledgehammer then. Yeah. I fixed it for now just so it doesn't look, you know, like granted it's in the backyard and no one's ever going to see it. Yeah. But 
you know, I fixed it for you now it. because I see it. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and so of course, no, um, it's fixed. And, uh, now I want the planter gone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can spend money twice. Exactly. <laughs> why spend, why fix it once when I can spend money twice? That is uh, the basic homeownership it's rules the, right there. Exactly. The basic rules. It's like, well, you know, I'm going to get this and, you know, so. And not only that, yeah. but you bought the tools to fix it that you probably uh, will never use again. <laughs> well, thankfully, I only bought a $9 trowel with 10% off <laughs> and a box of mortar, which, you know, like I think total for that repair job, um, plus the moisture that was sucked out of my hands and fingers. I guess fingers are part of hands, right? They are. Yeah, last okay. I checked. Um, but. I got to a point where the trowel was just like not going fast enough. I'm like, um, reached down in there, got a big old glop of it, slapped it down, set the block, and then used the trowel just to point, you know, just to put. And I was actually surprised at how well, it, how well my pointing job turned out. Say uh, that again. You, 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 the trowel wasn't fast enough. Did, you couldn't buy trowel, a faster trowel. <laughs> I couldn't buy a faster trowel. <laughs> The trowel was not applying the uh, mortar oh, as man. fast. I, I bought a pointing trowel, you know, and yeah. should have bought a bigger trowel. Have a, you seen those? An like, appropriately sized trowel for laying brick, which I did not. Have you seen those videos where uh, there there's like multiple masons working on a wall, and this there's there's the guy who's laying them down, and like so he's like throwing the the mortar, and then he he lays the brick down, and then he turns to like grab more mortar, and the other person pulls the brick, steals it. Oh yeah, yeah, and, and it just keeps going and going, and the guy never catches on after like five or six or seven bricks. How does that happen? It, those are those are. I could watch those all day. <laughs> yeah, or just watch that one over and over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> All so, right, well, uh, you want to get to the real topic here? So, so the reason why I say that is because one of the top or the topic that we're going to talk about, one of those people was telling a story, and that story happened to be about you know Louis Kahn, and you know when he was talking about his buildings, he you know referenced louis Kahn and, and the whole brick story right well let's save that so we can come back to it later i think it makes sense for us to start with we, we want to talk about two different lectures that happened at mdc monterey design conference which i was lucky to attend earlier in the month i guess it was last month now but um the the couple of talks really stood out to me of course they're all amazing and and inspiring for different reasons but there was two that i thought it would be great and so they also were available uh to people via streaming and uh so you didn't have to go there in person but i do have to say like watching the videos afterward it wasn't as good as being there just so, just so you know i just really want to rub it in right now i was gonna say i feel you're rubbing it in <laughs> because you know i wasn't there and i watched it on the, your streaming login <laughs> you just outed me <laughs> oops did i say that out loud for somebody uh, who was nope. being a jerk about me not being there <laughs> i'll never make it into the episode right <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah no you know the one thing that i really love about mdc really is the just this 
feeling of, you know, it's it's this Rocky movie feeling, right? You know, because everybody is so inspiring. Everybody just like, you almost feel like, I want to go punch a building now. You know, it's just like, because it's just. (laughs) Why can't you love a building? Why you got to punch it? I don't mean punch it as in like, you know, club it in the face or anything. I'm just thinking that, you know, it's just like, you know. You're getting fired up. Rocky movie, you know, you're like, you know, that kind of thing. It just, it's just, it's, it's really, honestly, every time I went there and it just isn't, is, isn't this the first one in person? Yeah. In three years. In three years. Yeah. So that's, wow. Yeah. um, That was a, it was a big deal for sure. I mean, I, I think it was similar to AIA conference, right? It was just like, oh, finally, geez, this has been, we've been missing this. Did you walk away with a disease? I mean, gift? Um, <laughs> not, not in that way. No, I did not. <laughs> thanks, AIA. Yeah. Thanks that AIA. was a lovely parting gift for us. <laughs> Super spreader event. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, that didn't happen here. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, it's, and, and a lot of it is the setting itself, right? Being oh, in Monterey, true. being in Ancilamar, and the seeing the people. It's all about the people, for sure. It's about being there with your people, our people, uh, for sure. And just in yeah, the the setting, the buildings, you know, just the the mood, the you know, just being there with like minded people. I mean, because everybody's it. You know, we've been to conferences, architectural conferences. Are you are you using air quotes right now? Yeah, yeah, I, I am. <laughs> I could and, I could hear the air quotes exactly, yeah. and none of them feel the way mdc feels none of them kind of a homecoming right like it it really does feel like this you feel a warmth that you don't get at other conferences from it and it feels like you're returning to the you know they this almost like doe-eyed kind of like the reason that you got into architecture you know before you kind of got a little jaded, you know, with the, <laughs> with just like the way the profession really is right, right. and everything else. And and I don't mean it, I mean, whatever, um, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, leave but, stop right there. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, it's just like, it's so encouraging. I mean, I remember when I was standing next to, um, and of course I'm blanking on uh, Steve Ehrlich. I was, in my first MDC. Now, I've got a bunch of Steve Ehrlich books. And I'm sitting there and I'm just talking to the dude. Yeah. You can do that. There. No pretense. Right. There was no pretension to him. He was just a down-to-earth guy and we're just sitting there chatting. And to be quite honest with you, before I realized who it was, it was just fun to like have that conversation. And then he, was talk- then he talked about a specific project and I knew that project. And I was just like, holy moly, you're Steve Ehrlich. I've got three of your books at home. You know, I'm an admirer of your work. And, but it, you know, it was just like, I didn't need to, I didn't need to like feel all, you know, like, I mean, I, I, I did feel a little giddy because I'm like, Hey, cool. I, you know, it's like you're meeting somebody that you like admire their work and stuff. And, and that's cool. And I, I didn't even like, you know, flinch and say, Oh my gosh, you're, you know, it's just, <laughs> I told him it was just like, you know, cool. This is a great conversation and I'm going to be in the moment. 
And I mean, it, but that's the thing about it is like you can have like it, that's the, the right. Deborah Burks, you know, which you know, kind of leading into where we're going. Yeah, <laughs> it, and you know, just have a. I mean, she's she was like you know, kind of like this is great. You know, when she was talking about like kind of like the intro into her uh, her talk. Yeah, a lot of the speakers who are invited have never been before, right? So it, it is new a new experience for many of the, especially if they're not yeah. in California or international or right. et, et cetera. But yeah, I think that that you can definitely kind of feel it when the the newness of it to to them, and also kind of the you know let's just continue the conversation over wine at dinner aspects right. of it right. as well, right? It's like I don't have time to get into it right now, but I'm happy to later. Let let's just keep the conversation going then. So as part of that foreshadowing, I guess you can lead the uh, intro into um, our first subject. Yeah. So the first day, the, the, the Monterey Design Conference goes from Friday kind of afternoon to Sunday lunchtime. And so you get a couple of nights at a Silomar conference grounds in Monterey, uh, which is it's actually south of Monterey a little bit. And it's, it's right on the beach, right on the water. The Julia Morgan designed uh, conference center. And you have meals together there and, you know, there's a cafe and the talks kind of go throughout the days and there are mixed groups of invited speakers from what they call headliners to emerging professionals. They've got people who come internationally from international locations to speak at this. People stay on the conference grounds in the, you know, there's various types of housing on the conference grounds. All the buildings are spread out. You get these beautiful views. You get the beautiful ocean air. It's kind of the perfect time of year to be in Monterey. And so the first speaker that was headlining was Deborah Burke. And Deborah has a practice in New York, and she's also the uh, dean at the Yale School of Architecture. And I don't know where she finds the time to do all of this, but <laughs> she figures it out somehow. And and she came to speak about her work and kind of kick off the conference from a, you know, a keynote almost, but not really like there's no, she's not really setting the tone for the conference, but she was, she did kind of set the tone for the conference in that her, her main themes, which I I don't want to give away her main themes yet, because I'm I'm interested to hear kind of what your takeaways were hearing it too, and not, not being there in the room, but just like, like not seeing the whole context of MDC, her, her talk probably hits you a little bit differently than it hit me because I'm kind of constantly renegotiating what MDC means as I hear every additional speaker. Um, so, so I'm interested to kind of, you know, dig into her talk because looking back at, at all of MDC, I felt like it really did set a tone even, you know, and I'm sure that was, that was kind of a goal of hers was to kind of hit hard and not just make it this frilly, let's make this about me kind of, it wasn't about her really at all. It was, there was a much larger theme to it, but I mean, overall, just impressions from her talk for you hearing it for the first time fresh. Well, so as much as I'm familiar with her work, I've never actually saw her. And one of the things that I appreciated about it was, is even though she knew she was in a room with a bunch of architects and, you know, you could easily like inundate somebody with um you know just argus speak and bore the living crap out of them mm-hmm. not to say that argus speak bores anybody because no, that's no. what we're <laughs> trademark um <laughs> but 
the, the thing that I appreciated was just that she just felt, you know, it was like made the room feel comfortable about a lot of information that she was giving. So I, I, I could see where like the overarching idea that she was presenting was the pivotal role that architects play in, you know, carbon um, emissions, in the role of designing responsibly and sustainably. But she did it in a way where she presented her work and, you know, and how she was achieving kind of these, these goals. And she, you know, she had said that during COVID, you know, when work was slowing down that, you know, she kind of paired up with an engineering uh, firm to basically write a white paper about, um, you know, basically, what was it? Uh, Why am I blanking? Uh, Help me out here. <laughs> the no this is way more fun <laughs> oh just uh, just sitting um <laughs> the term that she hates adaptive reuse adaptive reuse it, it's, yeah she said she loathes that she so <laughs> but, but she, she like, doesn't have a better replacement she was like she loathes the term but loves the practice of what she does and loves the the notion of adaptive reuse supporting this notion of sustainability and carbon reduction in as somebody who has spent god it feels like the past 20 years of my career honestly since at least since um the i I would say the last 15 years of my career has been adaptive reuse projects Mm -hmm. and i'm very conscious of what I'm, you know, what kind of contribution I'm making to uh, carbon reduction um, when I go into these projects, and to see it from her perspective was was really something that was both eye opening because of just the amazing, the, the amazing way that she's able to do some of these projects, and you know, very creative. And in some of mine, I will definitely say her not as creative. Um, you know, although in my mind, I would be, oh, this would be, you know, like I would have loved to have done this project similar to this one or that one. You know, it's just the nature of a lot of the projects that I worked on were, you know, um, public works projects that were like, you got to stay, you know, you got to adhere to a budget. We're going to basically ask you to do more program than our budget allows. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the drill, you've done it. <laughs> You you know where you get to pick and choose your, you know, your design options. And, but, you know, so, but also the way that she had, you know, talked about her projects as they approached the sustainability, the, you know, carbon reduction, the, you know, just this, this, you know, like, kind of like zeroing in on the responsibility of the architect, um, kind of was almost validating because, you know, a lot of times, you know, people would, you know, talk about these projects that, you know, I was working at, but, you know, isn't it just easier just to demo it? And, and sure, there's sometimes when you think in your mind, God, it would just be so much easier. But then when you really sit down and you look at the, you know, let's just call it the sustainable pro forma um, of the nature of the, of that particular style of work, you're really like, you're saving on construction costs, you know, you're doing selective demolition, you're, yeah. You know, like you're you're getting more bang for your buck in reusing these buildings. You know, plus in a way, in a lot of ways, um you're holding on to and, and she didn't really talk about this in 
Well, I guess he did in a way. But your whole no, she did actually in in a lot of ways. Now that I'm actually thinking about the you know, because now like the this, the talk is come flooding back in. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a lot of ways, she you know she did talk about in in like I talk about saving um, these architectural heritage pieces, or it's just you know saving you know a bit of history while also reinvigorating it for new history. Yeah, there was, man, there was a lot in there, I think, because she actually talked about an article that she wrote. And I guess one of the things about, you know, kind of underlying the whole theme of adaptive reuse is that the embodied carbon's already been spent, basically, right? Like it, it already Mostly, exists. Yes. Yeah. And not only that, but the demolition and the, the waste created through new construction and demolition, yeah, that's all part of the carbon story as well. Exactly. And, yeah. and so uh, while, while there is reuse, that that usually includes you know reconfiguration and things it's a lot less than sure what would happen under new new construction but one of the things that, that she talked about that i thought was really interesting is that she wrote an article called against preservation <laughs> and and i'm sure that offended many architects in the audience who are Probably. historic preservationists right yeah. But um, she does make the case and I, i've never been a preservationist myself and i've never worked on a project that I, actually, that's not true. I have worked on a project where where that was talked about a lot and attempted in in different ways, but it wasn't like I'm I'm, I'm on the West Coast, right? It's just not as big of a thing as it is right. on the East Coast, so it didn't it didn't offend me. I could I could just kind of feel the room, um, especially as you sit in kind of a, a historical building <laughs> as you're here consuming this talk, you know, in the in the Julia Morgan Design Merrill Hall at Asilomar Conference Grounds, so. Um, not that it was need needs to be redone at all, but it is historic in in you know, several different probably you know ways of thinking about that beyond just the age of it. So mm-hmm. um, you know, there's like the iconic part of it. That, so so there's a lot of you know interesting things about this idea about being against preservation, and she kind of backed that up by talking about how preservation fortifies and memorializes the past, and adaptive reuse is more flexible and sincere authentic and genuine of this time right it it's it, it takes what's been done in the past and it stretches and adapts it beyond what it because times do change right and right. i think that's the thing that if architecture is going to make a dent in the carbon problem of emissions right through embodied through operational mm-hmm. through construction through demolition all you know all of these right transportation of getting the things to the site like all of that um we have to reuse old buildings but that doesn't mean you just lock them into time as they always have been which there are so many people out there interested in doing right um it's very much like it's not just a modernization it's like preserving the good parts right it's like telling stories it's about being able to show off the history of a place good or bad right to tell the stories of what makes that thing interesting special um something that we should know about right it's it, it's it's kind of a you know, she she did have those kinds of provoc provocations in her talk yeah and and see you know and and I'm I I totally agree with her but I also disagree in a way because I actually do appreciate preservation, but almost all of my experience in preservation 
comes from more adaptive reuse. So in cases where like, you know, working in downtown Annapolis, you know, even though the buildings that I was that I was working on was not on the historic register, they were actually part, they were um, contributing to the Mm -hmm. historic fabric. Right. And so those are very specific words. (laughs) Yeah. I was making sure that I got it exactly correct. Right. And so, and so even though there was an opportunity for me to do certain things to the building, um, and there were certain things that I had to stay true to. And so the preservation society was very much looking at like the two existing buildings that were on the site and, you know, me being very faithful to the preservation of their exterior. Now the interior and the connection between the two buildings, whatever the hell you want. They, they very much were a proponent. (laughs) In fact, actually we had a proposal um, that was more in keeping with the style of the existing buildings. And they were like, no, 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 no. You guys aren't getting you can do this of your time of the time, yeah. you know, and, and, and which was great because then we could actually do a more adaptive reuse. Yeah. She um, actually defined adaptive reuse. I don't know if she tried to do this specifically, but it came out during the talk and talking about it as being neither pure acts of establishing something new, nor the safeguarding of something old. Right. Right. Exactly. And, and I, and I love the, the interweaving of the stories. You know, when you when you do adaptive reuse right, it's it's not a preservation project. It's not a full modern project. It is the interweaving of the two. Yeah. And and those are the things that I feel like make those, you know, those types of projects far more successful. I mean, because if you look at like, you know, a lot of her projects, now yes, most of like the like big impact in some of the earlier stuff was you know more of an interior intervention and so you know you really didn't know but then as she started to do more and more of those projects and she started showing them then you know you start to see the more adventurous kind of like um you know additions of the time and then you know just and it was just like they were so elegantly done i mean and that was the thing that i just i took away from it it was just like it was almost like man i wish i could go back and do you know, these, these yeah, projects. That I... These are my favorite kinds of projects too. And I, I guess I never really thought of it until this talk and actually thinking about it afterward, like being kind of poked to think about it this way. Yeah. These are my favorite kinds of buildings to visit mm-hmm. because, and, and she talked about it during the talk that I guess this just kind of is a great way to say it, right? She talked about unlocking the potential of an old building Yeah, yeah. in a modern time. And yeah. to me, that is something that like we can walk into a building as architects and see potential. I'm I'm trying to find a house to buy. Like every picture that I look at on the you're internet, looking for, you're looking for potential. Yeah, like, exactly. You it's can't like, look at just what's there. You have to look at the potential when it when it comes to that kind of thing because you're absolutely you're obviously looking for some kind of an investment, but also just like how do you fit into that thing that's already there? And you don't make yourself fit it you you hopefully i i want to make it fit me right i want to make it fit my family so that idea of unlocking the potential is is super interesting because there are really creative ways to do that she she talked about the sole purpose of her practice is to cut holes through old buildings (laughs) yeah and that was a funny quote right because it's like that's what 
a lot of times that is the answer because they were so rigorous in their, right. you know, these are old factory buildings and they're, they're old, you know, they're, they're just very, you know, low floor to floor and really rigid in their structural layout. And there's no sectional quality to these buildings. And by bringing those new qualities to old buildings and by kind of you know, scraping away the paint, right. And peeling away the layers of the onion that have built up over the decades it brings new interest it bring it it makes them yeah. more accessible to people in interesting ways about like how buildings are made and what kind of stories they have locked into them it, it, it's really interesting i think it, it ties into it this i want to put a bookmark in this part because i think this ties into something that we're going to talk about in the the second half of the episode with with the other talk that we're going to talk about mm-hmm. so i'm going to try really hard to remember this thing but you know just this idea of buildings there's this struggle with buildings and how precious they are for architects but people don't necessarily think of buildings as precious unless it's a historic building right right <laughs> and, and then it's like no, I'm going to lay down in front of that freight train that's coming because you can't, right? Because it's got to be perfect and it has to be preserved exactly how it was of that time and, and knob and tube and everything, right? Like it's just got to be exactly how it used to be or it's not uh, it's not perfect anymore. But I, I think that this whole idea of them not being precious and, and, and peeling away those layers and leaving them exposed is such an interesting, cool thing about the mix of old and new in when, when an adaptive reuse project is done, at least the kind that I like to visit, you see that intervention and it is still raw. It's like they tore off the band-aids of, because that building was so unmaintained and mm-hmm. was unrepaired. And, and then they kind of leave some of those areas open wounded and you can see the layers that were there and it's cool because it like takes you back it's like what has this thing been through what has this building seen over the decades and does anybody know these stories and then, and then can now we can point at that thing and say here's the story of what happened with that you know i think that's pretty cool to kind of expose that stuff it doesn't really happen with new buildings one of the things that i thought was uh, a success of one of the adaptive reuse projects that i worked on was that I was connecting two buildings and to traverse back and forth between the two buildings, you know, essentially the new addition, the new corridors, you know, had to basically, you know, leave one building and, you know, go across the way to the next building. Mm -hmm. And the way that I kind of, well, one, it was almost uh, by nature, by the requirement of the elevation change between the floor to floor heights between the two buildings. There was, there were seven foot and some odd uh, inches different in height from like, say the third floor here was seven feet higher than the third floor here. Yeah. yeah. And so to traverse These buildings those, were never meant to be connected physically. <laughs> right. And be- because they were so close, that corridor had to be ramp ramping. Into because the footprint was so small, I had to basically do these kind of like S shaped, you know, like. Um, this sounds like it, that test it, on the ARE where you had to like design <laughs> the stair and the ramp to go between these two spaces and they yeah. just never fit in the space provided. You know, yeah. you had to be really creative. <laughs> and, and, and so, exactly. It's, but what, one of the things that we did was is rather than, you know, jip the walls and hide the the exterior of the buildings we left the exterior exposed 
And mm-hmm. so you're you're passing through and you're seeing, you know, like if we had to infill a window, we would recess it back so that you could see the there was a window here. Um, you know, or you know, we would like leave the window open and infilled with like uh, you know, restored window, but it was look over, you know, looking into, you know, some the library spaces, mm-hmm. this particular mm-hmm. one, or the art, or the art room, and but it was just it, it kind of so you were traversing through one building, traversing through the modern building, the, the modern part of the, building, um, and just trying to like celebrate that that procession, and celebrate the existing buildings, celebrate the new buildings, celebrate the new program of the buildings, and then go back to celebrating the the next old building but with like its new program spaces and all of that other stuff. And it was just, it was telling, you know, the story of all of you know, the, the three buildings mm-hmm. um, in a manner that, you know, I just, you don't, you don't get that from a new building unless you're, it's a contrived, you know, attempt at creating something old or to make it feel old to just set a mood. Right, but this was like you know you're you know kids get to rub rub their hands across you know like this hundred year old brick or hundred and fifty year old brick or you know and and it's just you know it's it it's a textural change it's a a mood change it's a you know playing with the lights playing with you know the transparencies just things that we just don't normally get on a new building I mean yeah we can you know do fun exciting things with new buildings but. There's just this this nature of things, and you know, we even like you know, we used to we would um, expose the you know the structure, and I don't know what it is, but the way a steel truss was done in the early 1900s versus the way some of you know the way we do some of the steel trusses now, it just looks so different. And mm-hmm. and there, there's there's such an exciting kind of like dynamic feeling to this heavy riveted steel truss just feels just, authentic and like handmade exactly right? it, it feels it, like people were a because part of it was it was yeah and we don't do things like that anymore yeah. we it's it's all of it you can see the transformation of you know because then i kind of exposed my structure you know the new structure but you saw the difference between the two you saw that you know one was machine made you know these fine fillet welds and all of this other stuff versus like this heavy riveted you know kind of like um trust that was just it, it felt artistic yeah 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 it's cool man i think it, that like there there's so many neat ways to then like have conversations about those things because there's something to talk about like the building doesn't just fade into the background there's interesting things happening there that you've you've chosen to bring to the surface so that people can talk about them and and that was the thing that I liked about what she did was because she was very deliberate in, um, you know, kind of exposing, um, you know, like uh, talking about the, the new language, the new use and everything else, celebrating the old, maintaining some of the old in, in just in a very beautiful way. Yeah. Which was, you know. And, and for it. the purpose of. Right. Which getting back to the saving millions of tons of carbon emissions. Right. Exactly. So yes. And, and exactly. very clear to say, like, not all old buildings should be saved because there's many old toxic buildings. There's many old unsafe buildings. 
but for the ones that can be, uh, that can, with this kind of problem-solving attitude applied, can come become something that's useful today right. and inspiring even, right, today for whatever purpose people can come up with. I think that, that that's huge. And, and I think that we've talked about this before on the podcast, but like the answer cannot always be a new building. Architects right. cannot continue to just accept new commissions for projects. I mean, I don't know how you actually convince architects not to do this, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> but, but the answer cannot always be a new building. It has to be to reuse this. I mean, do you want to be a part of those conversations or not? I guess there's probably a lot of architects who do not want to be a part of those conversations. But for the ones who see what architects value can bring to those projects, that I think there's a huge opportunity there. I mean, she even talked about it as like revitalizing, right? Like kind of the the kindling project for revitalizing different areas and how right. many new projects, new and adaptive reuse projects happened after they did the first one. I mean, that that's a huge success story, right? Because it does begin to bring new life, new energy to a place that could have probably was dying. Yeah, so she ended with uh, architects and designers are the primary contributing authors of the built environment, and we have to do this. But we yeah. owe the planet. And I think that, I mean, it's a great call to action. And and so kind of, you know, setting the tone, it's, it's interesting, right? Because I've been to talks at MDC in the past where every project is a shiny new thing. And she, she even had like a picture of the, the skyline. And she talked about it being a, oh, yeah. a charm yeah. bracelet. Right? <laughs> yeah, I wrote that down. I was just like, ah, charm bracelet. That's funny. Yeah. And and the idea of just showing current work, meaning new work, and, and how that's no longer acceptable uh, for architects. And, and really owning this issue and, and owning that we can help affect change in the biggest ways possible um, as the authors that contribute to the built environment. I think that that is a huge call to action. And I, I thought it was a fantastic way to kick off MDC. And it was a recurring theme that came up many, many times. Um, and, and I don't know if I was an architect with new projects that I would want to come after her after that. <laughs> Obviously the show must go on. Um, but it was, it was kind of interesting in the way that it set the tone and, uh, and, and it does make you think, after that, when people are showing just new work or, you know, heavily carbon embodied and operational carbon like type projects, you're just like, huh. Right? So, so let me ask you this. So obviously not being there and I only watched two of the talks. How was, cause, cause I feel like the, the next one that we talked about, it was more on the tail end. Um, or at least, you know, a day. It was after. at least a day later. Yeah. At least a day later. So there was a lot of talks in between the, the next one and, you know, uh, Deborah Burks. What was the, you know, what was the tone that was, you know, so like, you know, out of the box, you know, you've got this, you know, to me, that was, you know, even though I was watching it, you know, um, streaming it on my phone and it was, it didn't, have like the energy of the room and you know just the spirit mm -hmm. of the place and everything else i still felt 
you know, pretty good about it. I was like, you know, excited to hear it. And, and I, I actually, you know, you know, had it, I, I, I watched it twice, you yeah. know, because, because what, what she does kind of spoke to like what I've done in my career and, mm-hmm. you know, um, and it, it just, it was just like, you know, again, it, it, it felt very Rocky movie-esque, you know, it's just like that feeling that you get after a Rocky movie where you're just like, yeah. You I know, don't know, thing. man. It's hard. Like, it's hard is... to read the room because it's such a big room. There was like 800 people there. <clears throat> so that there was like a social thing after. And this is one thing I like about MDC is like they'll, they'll do they'll They'll line up a, a series of talks and then they'll, they'll send you out to like just a, a breather. And, and, you know, they have like social hour and maybe they'll have a book signing and you can go visit mm-hmm. some, some vendors, but really like you can just, talk to people about the things you just experienced and i felt like after that one there were the most kind of deep considering conversations at least in my experience i don't i cannot speak for anybody else but i felt like those were the kinds of conversations like we were talking about the architectural education process like what is pedagogy teaching people like is it just about creating new forms is it just about new buildings is it always or is it i mean i actually remembered Um, talking with somebody about old infill projects that we were doing when we were in school. And I thought, um, are, is that enough of the conversation today in architectural education? And I, I'm, I have a feeling that, that some of it is because there is so much emphasis on carbon and sustainability and those things in school today that were not as much. So when I was in school, Mm -hmm. um, so I have hope, but I felt like those were, there were some really deep kind of conversations happening that were really questioning our role in solving this problem. So, so I have to say, like, it, I thought that was, I think, something that reinforced that it was probably the most impactful talk that I experienced at MDC this year. Okay. Yeah, it was cool. So one of the things that I liked about it, in, you know, talking going back to the whole brick notion is some of the use of her brick because I can't hear you again, just so you know, you're, you're, you must be leaning back. Oh, I did. Oh, leaning back and relaxing. Anyway, it's not allowed. um, (laughs) One of the things that, you know, I did thinking about, like, you know, me me talking about my brick adventure um, into masonry. Um, and we were talking about, you know, and again, foreshadowing to the next uh, talk, mm-hmm. um, you know, this, what does a brick want to be? Because she does so much of her, or, you know, a lot of her work is in the city. And a lot of that adaptive reuse work is in the city. Mm-hmm. The way that she approaches, um, you know, both the kind of like reuse of existing brick and then kind of like new brick. Um, it's just it, some some of the uh the tapestries that she created by use of brick was just amazing i mean mm. oh yeah yeah um you know a couple of the different projects that, that next I was haven thinking. project yes yeah yeah i was just like oh let's see you know this when when people you know and i know that you don't you know you probably haven't done a lot of like brick projects i've done a lot of brick projects and no. i'm always trying to find you know, a slightly, you know, different take on the conventionality of, of like how you use brick. Mm-hmm. 
And you know, it's just like, okay, what can I do a little bit differently? You know, is it is it through colors? Is it through recesses? Is it through you know just this shift of planes where I can get a little bit of like shadow play on it and all that mm-hmm. other stuff? And you know, these are the things that kind of make some of those you know projects fun, especially when you're using a more conventional you know building material. And to see some of the ways that she had you know approached some of the you know the use of brick is just. I mean, it was mastery. I just absolutely loved it. It is it because there's like this visual interest through shadow, most yeah. almost yeah. you know texture and shadow, and and really though the building. Her, she was even saying, I believe it was that project. Like the building's job is to fade in the background, and the art is the thing that should be on display. Right, and that's what it. Next Haven was a. It's a gallery, right? So right. among other things, school and and things like that. Yeah, art school. But I just think that 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 is so interesting because it. It's like there's something for everybody, right? For the people who who want the art to be forefront, there it is. For those who want to look at the architecture, it's it's still there. Like it it has the substance. It's not just it's not flash. And I I appreciated that about it. Well, because you know what's interesting is the way. So I say that because the way that you know she may not have necessarily. I guess she sort of did, but I mean she didn't necessarily talk about like. I mean, she talked about the use of brick and and things like that, and as part of a you know sustainable approach. Um, but the you know a little bit of foreshadowing to you know the next talk when he was specifically talking about you know like the the ways you can you know use a conventional building material to be far more expressive. Um, and and though she didn't necessarily, you know focus in on you know all of the different you know moves and and stuff just when you look at the approach that she took with that conventional building material she's definitely like got it like it was what our next talk is going to be about or the, the next speaker that you know you had gotten a chance to see that um you know we're going to talk about you know, he he started talking about this use of brick and shadow mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and light and just you know like the the responsiveness of the material, and, and it's just like you looking at those and just keep thinking about like the way that she just you know used all of this materials. Just you know, it's just like oh, it's just a simple brick building. No, no, it wasn't. It was. <laughs> it was just. I'm getting more here. <laughs> the, these just beautiful moves that just made that that the use of that conventional material so much grand yeah well let's introduce the the second talk that we're gonna be focusing on and that was with james wines who is an environmental artist but he dabbled in architecture i don't know (laughs) if that's the right word i mean i mean how would you how would you i think i think he's i think he sort of said it that way that you know um it, 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 i mean yeah i i guess it's it's dabbled but i mean i think that he, he even said that it kind of like dabbled but then that his environmental art you know the next logical step for what he was doing was architecture yeah you know? like getting out of this you know creating abstract art in for these installations like what's next and somebody right. like, just basically being provoked by somebody else to say like are you going to just do abstract art forever or are you like what's next <laughs> yeah. And, yeah that was interesting so james wines is in his 90s and they started off this uh 
conversation, which was done remotely. So he came in via Zoom uh, because he is disabled, I guess, at this point. And, and yeah. but but man, super sharp and oh and gosh, yeah. witty and funny. And and so I'll put a link to that YouTube video because it's kind of a mini short. It's a short documentary on yeah. Site, which was his architecture and environmental art studio, that is, I would say, pretty internationally known for their work on the best company big box stores i guess those were probably in the 70s best products showroom yeah best products showrooms and do you do you remember the first time you ever saw those projects i i'm trying to i know i've seen them a lot and i remember them being impactful on me but i can't really place when i first saw those i i remember them in school yeah yeah, I think um, it was before architecture school for me when I first saw them. And and so and obviously either they didn't exist or didn't exist anywhere near I was. Right. Um and so yeah. I'd never seen one. And so right. and so the introduction of it was was when we were talking about, you know, we never went to to such of a deep dive. And it wasn't even a deep dive in the conversation that uh, was being had at MTC. It was just it was more revealing to both the motives and where those motives kind of grew out of. You know, because again, you know, this was, you know, he was an environmental artist, kind of tr- bringing awareness to, you know, like kind of like these these social ideas, but they weren't. You know, as as he was challenged, I mean, they weren't something that everybody was thinking about. Right. You know, it was just like, and, and then to, and, and really honestly, to be um, impactful, I, I truly felt like listening to the conversation that was going on between him and Reed, that it was very, you know, it was, it was just this, un, it was this unveiling of what seemed like the natural progression of his work. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just like, where, well, where, you know, bigger the obvious, scale. Yeah, exactly. It's like the obvious next choice is let's reach a grander audience. And that right. grander audience will be, you know, through a building. Yeah. You know, and, and to find somebody willing to do that. Right? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like to find a client Tough. that is willing to put this on display. And, and like this was risky, right? I, like he talked oh, yeah. about a, a meeting, like a user group meeting. And I'm sure. That oh, my user, gosh. That was you know, great. It, it was like there was this user group meeting and talking about how this, yeah, this yeah. architecture was going to ruin people's, you know, they were going to be scared to go in and, yeah. and it, they were going to question the quality of the junk they were selling <laughs> inside. Yeah. And, and it, after the meeting, the, 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 the owner, he's like, Hey, just hang back. You know, I want to talk to you. And he tore up the notes and threw them in the trash. He's like, we're doing it anyway. Right. He's like, like when, when can you start? Right. That <laughs> was just like, you know, that's, that's like, you know, the, that's a client who has got absolute faith in the vision that these two shared because it wasn't necessarily just James's vision. It was, no. you know, the, the, the client had the, the CEO appreciation for sure. Yeah. Cause he, cause you know, I mean, his James was kind of explaining, you know, he was a, you know, he was an art connoisseur, you know, and he was like, you know, into like the avant-garde kind of like pop art and all that other stuff. And so, 
you know, just to him, it was just a natural, in his own mind, it was just a natural progression of, you know, his love of art to, you know, his form of commerce, right? right. <laughs> you know? And, and and I love the social commentary aspect of it because they were doing yes. something that, yeah. that, you know, the buildings, it, it made people question, it, it made people interested, it inspired people to, like, made the curiosity level had to be, like, off the charts, right? Like, you see the corner of the building peeling off the building, right? Right, like, right. People are genuinely scared that the wall is going to fall on them. Or the part where the, the corner of the building pulls out and the bricks you know, are articulated in a way that looks like the building is broken. Right. Um, right. It's thing, like things like that, that it's, it was interesting f- to hear the story behind it because he was talking about how it was a junk culture and it was yeah. like common to the building was about the junk culture and how they had a sense of humor about it and how there was humor in their projects. And I, like as architecture goes, I think we all could agree that there's architecture is mostly humorous, humorless, right? Right, right. And, and so for him to do this, like these follies, basically, and have a client willing to actually pay for the, these things to happen, um, which sadly don't, you know, I think he said that maybe one still exists, but it's so badly, it's like turned into a church and it's it's just not even anywhere close to its original form anymore that it doesn't even count. But for these to be to be gone, I think is is also speaks to that junk culture, right? Right, right. <laughs> that is the natural timeline of when something no longer serves its purpose. What do you do with it? You throw it in the trash, and that's what's happened to these buildings. I think that's super interesting. Additional commentary on the the timelines of these kinds of projects. But I want to. I'll put a link to his website in the show notes so that everybody can see what we're talking about because it, I went. If you haven't seen the talk, it's really hard to envision. And once you see these, if you've seen them before, you'll instantly recognize them. And if not, it's definitely worth looking at these projects. There's a, a, a little gallery on on their website that you can kind of scroll through some of the examples. One of the fav- one of my favorite ones was I think it was the one where the corner was like just peeling off, mm. and it looked like the the brick facade was like peeling away. Yes. Yeah that like paper like a giant sheet of paper exactly and you know the apparently some concerned citizen you know was like rapping on the door you know just like you know i need to like let you guys know that you know your building is falling apart and they're like no no that's the way it was yeah yeah you know (laughs) and he was concerned he's like this is amazing (laughs) and and you know and, and i guess there was the the story of the um, the little old lady who came up and just said, you know, Hey, um, I've never thought about architecture. I've never thought about buildings before mm-hmm. you have made me think about buildings. Yeah. And, and, and that was sort of the thing is because, you know, especially with like big box stores, you know, the, the commentary of the big box stores, like nobody thinks of them. They were so just random and, you know, nobody really like gave, to hoots about what was right. actually and and so to you know to be you know to be able to like you know just kind of like almost raise awareness of hey there's a building here kind of thing i mean if you think about it you think about like the um what you know most buildings are is especially big box stores is you know like you park as close as you can to the front door you run into the you know to the building um, you do your shopping and you kind of like run out and you never really like 
you're engaging the building, but you're only engaging it at a product level. You're mm-hmm. never engaging it as an ar- at an architectural level. Mm-hmm. And so you never pay attention to what the hell is going on. Now we do because, you know, we just look at everything. You know, we, we look at all of the different buildings and, you know, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent. But most people don't ever really pay attention to that. And so, you know, here is an opportunity to almost, you know, offer up, you know, the social commentary. It's just like, you know, this building could be falling apart and you guys wouldn't pay attention to it. It's just like, oh, wait. Yeah, you know, it's like the, um, God, that the one building where like the crumbling bricks, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just people were like, oh, it's the first time they probably ever thought of a building or the, you know, it was just like, it, I mean, I, it, I don't know. It was, well, it was something that, that provoked thought and exactly. curiosity about yeah. buildings. Yeah. To your point. I mean, that, that, I mean, I love that. And it happens from the parking lot level, like reading, yeah. arch- like this is the first time anybody ever tried to read architecture for, for a lot of people, right? They see it from a, afar. They see it from a distance. What is going on over there? And it just begs you to get closer and closer and closer and inspect what's going on. And in many cases, there's additional things going on the closer you get, right? right. Which makes right. it even more interesting, right? And until you get inside. <laughs> And then, and then it's just like a normal shopping experience. I'm, I'm sure it, it was interesting for him to talk about uh, how some of his projects have been kind of bastardized over time. Right. And he talked like as an artist, it was, it's just, he just kind of presented it as data. It was very interesting because it was, he talked about how some clients had basically asked permission to like expand a project. And it was like, it was uh, the original Shake Shack that was oh, in, yeah. the, in the park. Is that, is that in uh, Central um, Park? Uh, I can't I, remember. I think he said it was Madison Square Garden. Madison Square Garden. So, so this idea of, he's like, well, well yeah. And, he, and the, the client was like, don't worry, we have in-house architects who are going <laughs> to take this. And he, he said, yeah, he said, I'm sure that, you know, the audience at MDC can, you hear the words in-house architects are, are taking over your project. It's kiss a kiss of, of death. death. <laughs> I totally, totally related to that. Uh, that. That was hilarious. But, but this idea that um, art is precious, but buildings are not is something that came up in his talk. Right. And he was talking about how we build these galleries. And if there's one little scratch on a piece of art, everybody freaks out. Right. Like the, the Oh Yeah. This is the kind of thing that that it it just cannot be messed with. But architecture, right? Okay. Is there's something about he says there's something about architecture that invites invasion and destruction. Well, you know, so <laughs> and he was thought he's just thought that was an interesting thing because he he's like there's not enough art in architecture. So, so when he said that, then I immediately thought back to Deborah Burke's you know speech because. You know, here's somebody who was talking about that, you know, we shouldn't, you know, like in regards to historic preservation, you know, we shouldn't be putting these buildings on a pedestal and, you know, putting them under glass. And, you know, this is this is it that, you know, these interventions um, through the adaptive reuse, you know, are saying that they're not necessarily precious per se, but they still have value in the story that they told and that they will continue to tell. And, and so I, I, I was thinking about when he said that and kind of like how she approached, you know, the, 
let's just call it the preciousness of um of buildings mm-hmm. where you know they're they don't they they don't need to be in a way um right but yeah. i mean it's where thing where work happens like a lot right. of times when she's talking about it from that context like these aren't precious spaces like this is where this is where the real work happens like the the it needs to function it needs to serve the right. function of the space and so yeah it is it but, is a it was interesting because i thought i thought the same thing right because he's talking about it kind of from this precious nature of of art and then she's right. saying you know not these, so, these spaces aren't precious so so when he was approaching it yeah so that was exactly it is he was approaching it as art you know as buildings are as um could be as precious as art though what's interesting about it is is that just by the very nature of the design of these you know best showrooms um they kind of showed that the the lack of preciousness right mm-hmm. that you know by it crumbling apart mm-hmm. is when it becomes you know more almost more interesting um in a way and and i don't i know that that i'm i'm drawing something that probably wasn't really there um but it was just you know the just the nature of it. but so so let's let's take a turn real quick and so you know we're talking specifically about kind of like this this almost like social commentary mm-hmm. of the of the best you know product showrooms and you know kind of like his approach to kind of almost like bring awareness to buildings and things like that but you know he was also the the approach that he took in the construction of a lot of his buildings especially like the one that was in richmond that was kind of like built around a bunch of trees and stuff like, yeah, you know he's really a, is that called a rainforest something like that yes yeah, and i think that's the one that might still be the only one that is somewhat still existing oh it's in, not the rainforest building that was just called the forest building yeah that's the one that's been turned into a church and he right. said they chopped down all the trees yeah yeah right <laughs> <laughs> but i mean but but the whole point of those were is like it was it was environmentalism before there was environmentalism yeah when it right. came to um you know our, our our thought on building in the built environment you know because you know there was a consciousness to it you know and in a way it was even a consciousness to like how it was built what it was built out of and, and things like that that you know was kind of interesting about like what he was doing and you know he was as avant-garde on the design aspect as he was on the environmental aspect of things because I was just reading a little bit about that on an article that I found on Arc Daily, and it said that only later did he realize that adding shading from the preserved trees significantly reduced the building's need for air conditioning in the summer months. So I don't know that he intentionally did that. Okay. okay. <laughs> but well, but I happy th- accident, know, it was, right? It was interesting because, <laughs> you know, I think the, the moderator um, did kind of lead in that, and maybe yeah. it was a little intentional. I don't know. Um, but well, there okay. was also the, the, they talked about the ghost parking lot project, right? Which yeah. was where they paved over these vehicles in this parking lot and it kind of made it into a playground for anybody to do whatever they wanted on, right? The idea was that it was an interactive place where kids are playing and they're rolling, rolling over the, with their bikes over the cars and stuff. And, and, right. and like that was a total statement, right? Towards right. environmentalism. Right. I mean, you're building these big ass parking lots in front of your big box building to sell junk. Right. I mean, it's there was a lot going on there, even though it 
the execution of it looked very simple. It just people, I don't know that people connected the dots. I'm sure many people did. And it was just like, this is really good stuff. And then other people are probably just like, what the hell is going on here? And I just, they, it just went right over their head. Like a lot of art does, right? I, yeah. Very interesting though, in the way that it kind of provokes and pushes and prods on people and how so much architecture doesn't, because kind of, as we're thinking about this best, best products buildings, I think about big box stores today and I'm sure that all of these large corporations have their in-house architect team. And what do they do? to when they design these big boxes like they design them as much the same as possible right there's no like they have to fit into the the community there's no statement being made other than this is our brand right and it, it just has to do with the signage and the the stucco right it it's uh it's it's just kind of interesting to see the lack of creativity curiosity art in buildings today I mean, this is goes back to the when we talked about Heatherwick's article on Dazine in the, you know, when we were talking about right buildings, and it's just like they're so freaking boring, right? And you right, look at right. these buildings that were done in the seventies, and like it's a big box store, and they were not boring. And yeah. I think that's what's so interesting about, and just seeing the kind of the character behind that whole thing is pretty cool. You know, I, I wonder if like the way that he approached these in a very playful, artistic manner you know, did it lead to these and maybe it was, you know, just before or kind of during, but like the, you know, deconstructivist period or the postmodernist periods where, you know, they were, you know, say what you want about like Pomo or, or, you know, Decon, it, they were very playful buildings. They weren't boring. There was nothing about them that, I mean, they, they brought awareness to, you know, the place that they were creating, right? I mean, yeah. you know, it wasn't like, you know, it's like, huh, you know, like so many times you can just like drive through a city and let's just like not pay attention, you know, because you just, it's just, it is what it is, right? You know, it becomes like oh, it's total background. Yeah. It's, it's background. It's just more of the same kind of thing. And then you see like these, these buildings that just like stand out because they're just unique and playful and just, you know, like these, they're, you know, it's like, oh my God, this building's falling apart, but it's not really, you know, it's just like, it's, it's because it, it's trying to draw attention to itself. It's trying to be, you know, less serious about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so you just like, you just, you know, wonder if, if like, you know, I, I don't know if he was like the kind of like gave birth to some of those movements or, or, or not, you know, it was kind of funny as I'm, you know, looking at another Arc Daily thing where they're, they were basically talking about how, um, you know, like, it was almost like his buildings were kind of like in a slab in the face of like, you know, some of the other movements like Venturi Scott Brown and, and things like that. And I'm just like, you know, in a way, they actually are very much, you know, like, they, they, they're hand in hand with each other, right? Mm -hmm. Like they, you know, um, it was his, his, the uh, historians, um, I'm not going to say their names, you know, described the tilt building as exemplifying and subverting the traditional uh, Venturi Scott Brown, um, you know, paradigm by simultaneously illustrating the concepts of both decorative shed and the duck. I don't know what that means, but what it is. Both, both buildings that they did. Oh, duh. <laughs> You're, duh. Wow. 
<laughs> it's been a long day. I completely forgot. It's been a long year, Cormac. But you know, in in you know, and I was just thinking, I was like, you know, that every you know, like each of these buildings, you know, like e- each of the buildings that of of all the different people, and even some of the people that he talked about that are that are kind of like modern, you know, people who you know, don't take things as seriously as kind of like the established you know, like um four walls and a roof kind of architect kind of thing that it just uh, i i i can i started to appreciate like playful natures mm-hmm. of of mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. that you know like we don't necessarily do enough of so serious yeah <laughs> you know yes and, I, yeah. I agree. I agree. I, I felt like that it was a, this was a, a huge, huge talk and it was a great reminder. I think the, this totally exemplifies what MDC is so good at, which is reminding you why you became an architect in right. the first place. And if you think about like why, you know, when you were becoming an architect as a, a baby in school, what were your, all of your projects? Your projects were not like, um, defined by the constraints, right. they were playful. They were fun. Break nine the times, it, nine break times all the of, rules, right? Nine times out of ten, people would say that can never be built. And then you have architects like Frank. And you Gary. never got graded down for that, exactly. But you, <laughs> but I mean, you, you know, then you have like people like Frank Gary who they're like, that's you know, like oh, that's preposterous. That's never going to be built. And he's like, watch, watch me, <laughs> exactly. Hold my beer. <laughs> Hold my beer. Watch me. Right. And he does it. And people are like, what the hell? Now, you know, there's people who are just like, oh my gosh, this is just a self-serving thing. And it's like, in a way it might be, but you know, and, and, you know, I went from, you know, kind of having like a, a love affair with, you know, Frank in school to then kind of like being, you go through your phases. Well, but I mean, it just kind of like, you know, I was just like, okay, well, the constraints are kind of like weighing. It's like, you know, how does he get you know, get away with all of this? You know, this is preposterous. You know, and then you just like, you're so focused on just like, well, that can't be built, or these are like the rules and stuff like that. And then you don't really like stop to think about. It. It's like, dude, think about how fun that must have been to like convince people to do this, and like, like you know, James Wines, you know, like convincing the best company to like do these buildings and become adventurous and be playful. I mean, don't take yourself serious. I mean, you are a serious company, but you don't have to like, you know, take yourself so seriously. I just feel like it's, it's like even more than that, right? It's, it's just kind of elevating the conversation and it's like, it is a serious, it is a serious sport that we play in here. (laughs) It is, but that we can have these, we can bring those conversations to these other levels. We right. have the ability right. to do that. Does it always work? Of course not. Do we always find the right the clients to be able? To? Of course not. But when if if that magic exists there, man, like it, it seriously can elevate the plane of the conversation to these other levels. And to me, like that's it's just that's what you feed off as an architect. Yeah, cool stuff. So once again, MDC was was in, incredible. I don't know that it was as incredible as ones that I've remembered. Maybe it's, I'm remembering them better than they actually were. But I do feel like it 
did its job. And, and that job is to bring you back every two years. This time it was three years. Um, but every two years and reignite, refuel, you know, get, this get one. pumped about why we got into this in the first place and bring that back into what we do on a day-to-day basis. And that to me is like super successful in that. And I always appreciate people yeah. who figure this MDC thing out because it, that can't be an easy job. And at the same time, it's, it's just, I think it really does exactly what it needs to do for the, the audience that, that shows up. I'll tell you the the one that sticks with me that will never go away is Rand Elliott. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I always think about that often actually. And I think, you know, just the two, um, that we had talked about, he would have fit perfectly with Mm -hmm. that conversation because there is the playful yet sustainably minded Mm -hmm. kind of aspect, all of his work that, you know, I, I, I don't know. Well, I, th- I think that about um, the, the stuff that we've talked about with uh, Rural Studio. Yeah. Like the, the solutions that can come out of creative constraints, whether they're material, whether it's existing structure, you know, adaptive reuse. Yeah. Just, man, it's like that kind of stuff is, is incredible. And, and it's really, I, I appreciate it so much. So, yeah, it is funny how you can start to tie these things back to what the other pieces of the puzzle are that fit this, this narrative. And, right. and I'm glad we have those to be able to kind of draw from over time because they, they really do help kind of <laughs> sustain us uh, as we move through this really tough profession. Thanks for listening. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. See all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. You can help support what we're doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out, and don't forget to share it with your friends. We'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at arcaspeakpodcast.com, where you can find our entire catalog of shows. Talk to you soon.